Okay, good morning, or evening, many of your evening, I think. Okay, there is a lot, <laughs> a lot going on today. Um, let's start with the sponsor stuff, and then we'll move into the, is there anything controversial today? Could be, we'll see by the time we get to next week. <laughs> it has become controversial. Let's start with the easy stuff instead. Sponsor this week is Clyde. <laughs> Collide again. Thanks to uh, thanks to Collide for being such a dominant sponsor over 2023 and a good way for 2022 as well. Collide can get your cross-platform fleet. You plus well, Let's try that again. No editing. Collide can get your cross-platform fleet to 100% compliance, zero trust for Okta. What to see for yourself? Book a demo. The demos are good. It's nice to go and actually see something firsthand. Clyde issues ensuring. Jeez, it's it's a rough start today. I had a good sleep too. Collide ensures that if a device isn't secure, it can't access your apps. Achieve zero trust access. Designed for OctaWorks on Mac, Windows, Linux, iOS, and Android. Watch the on-demand demo. Uh, please go and give Clyde a go. They've been very, very, very good to me this year. So, and last year. Check them out. Clyde are great. Big thanks to those guys. G'day, Wayne. Wayne is here. Josh is here. Evening, howdy. Right. How am I keeping track of this? I normally create a list during the week, and this week I have I have focus issues. <laughs> like this is a semi-serious conversation, and then I suspect this is probably the same for a lot of people these days, where there is so much stuff that demands your attention. And, and I, I, I feel that our attention span is probably a lot less these days. Jeez, uh, anyone seen TikTok? <laughs> it's like small bites of information because that's all we want to consume. Not that I'm a big TikTok user, but I find even just looking around me, there are so many things that distract me that take my attention. I mean, on the screen, there's the Azure stuff I'm going to talk about now. There's the video stuff we're doing here. There's Have I Been Pwn Code just there. There's some data breach disclosure stuff here. Uh, on my desk, there is all sorts of bits and pieces from the door and the Yale IoT padlock there. For some reason, there's a multimeter here because of more IoT stuff, which probably has to do with all the Shelleys that are here and the box of Wagos that I want to use to try and actually learn how the Shelleys work. Uh, and then there's more IoT bits here. These are Zigbee expansion modules for the door. There's boxes of things right here I can't talk about yet because they're under embargo and they've been sent to me as pre-release, but they look really, really, really cool and I want to play with them and I don't have time. And I need more filament because <laughs> I've printed too many 3D logos, but have I been pwned? So I've, I've, I just find my attention constantly gets drawn in different directions and I'm not always that, oh yeah, and there's a half-completed IoT 3D range sensor, 3D range sensor, right? <laughs> detect rain in three dimensions 3d printed enclosure for the rain sensor because i want to learn fusion 360 better so i can print more stuff as you can see i couldn't even get through the sentence without being distracted by something else but i did manage to carve out time today uh, let's do everything out of order i did manage to carve out time today this week to do a bunch of have i been pwned work where i i i had like a i lost my mind a little bit i think it must have been around tuesday just constantly getting dragged in different directions. So I did manage to just like turn to add 
API-based domain searches. So that's going in there. There's a, there's a whole dashboard going in for domain searches because a lot of people have multiple domains and they add new ones and they want to hack other ones away. Uh, it is a massive rewrite. I wanted to move a whole bunch of stuff from the web application into functions, which is, uh, which is mostly done. Um, I have been testing it <laughs> over the last couple of days. I've got a big testing thing to do, hopefully today. I've got to write a couple of more little features just so I make sure I have parity with the old domain search, which is fine. I've got the blog post to write about it. Uh, and then I'll, I'm going to wait to talk about this next week, but there is other things a little bit further down the line that I also need to uh, uh, foreshadow. It sounds a bit ominous. <laughs> talk about in the blog post. So I have actually managed to get some good focus time, but I, I do find that I really need to try very hard to tune out the other things. Uh, I mean, the door lock is a perfect example. How much time have I wasted on this fucking door lock? Which I think I have going pretty well now. <laughs> it's not on my list. Let's talk about the door lock. Did I finish on domain searches? Yeah. I've finished enough. I'm going to talk about that in detail next week because there'll be stuff launched, uh, which, which will be great. Now, the door lock. Not on my list, but I have spoken about it here many times before. Um, Wayne needs to order some Wagos. You know, as, as far as I've gotten with the Wagos, I took one out of the box and went, oh, this is cool, and I put it back in. They've been sitting there for about six weeks, Wayne. And the, part of the reason, you'll notice I've got three Shelleys here that have all got tape or something written on them, except this one. Uh, every now and then a Shelley starts misbehaving, and I'm not sure if it's the Shelley itself or... Or something else. Like was a bad connectivity? Did it need a firmware update or a hard reset or something? So if it misbehaves long enough, consistently enough, I get the sparky to flip it out for a new one. So I've got these like partially working Shelleys on the desk, and I, I want to sort of. I have this loss aversion of I don't want to just throw them out because maybe they're still okay. <laughs> so I want to sort of manually check myself whether they're okay and then decide whether I chuck them out which of course is a really, really bad ROI because the Shelleys are so cheap, I'm going to burn way more value than that in my time just checking them. But I, just, I don't like chucking stuff out. I really don't like chucking stuff out. Door locks. <laughs> so if you recall, I decided, Philip's here, get a Philip from England. I decided to order the Yale Assure 2 locks from the US rather than the Yale Assure one lock, which was available here locally. And there were multiple reasons for that. And, and, and I did give it a lot of thought and I knew the risk going into it. Uh, one of the reasons was they look a lot better. <laughs> they look a lot nicer. They're much more compact, particularly on the inside of the door, much more compact, uh, cleaner look. The, the, the outside is especially really slick. It just blends into the door. And with the doors we got too, we got these epic, big, kick-ass, dark aluminium doors, and people walk into it now, walk into the door, walk into the house now, and they're just like, whoa, that's... Our Sparky came back yesterday. Our Sparky just about lives here because I keep making him take Shelleys in and out. Uh, and it was the first time he'd seen it. He's just like, whoa, <laughs> that is that is awesome. So it is an epically nice door, uh, and it, it, it was expensive, so... <laughs> particularly fitting a lock to, I wanted something that looked really, really good. And the Sure 2 does look great. So there was that. The other thing is the promise of Matter support. Matter, of course, being the 
protocol that hopefully will be the thing that unifies all the IoT devices and isn't just like yet one more protocol. It'll be something that, that combines everything together. This is the hope. Uh, so it's got Matter support, it's got Zigbee support, it's got Wi-Fi support. They ship with a Wi-Fi module. My understanding was that Zigbee was available now, as I hold a Zigbee expansion module here, and that Matter was coming. Now, this is where things start to go a little bit wrong. Um, first of all, one of the things I learned is these Zigbee modules, <clears throat> these knowingly are from Australia for the version one of the lock. And, and the reason I know this is because when we originally ordered the doors, we also ordered the locks from Australia and I asked for Zigbee modules because I wanted Zigbee control. So they ordered it all and then I flip-flopped and said, look, I actually want to use the US ones. And they went, yeah, no problems. We will repurpose the Aussie ones for someone else, but we really can't repurpose the Zigbee modules, so you got to buy these. And they're like 70 bucks each, so they're not too bad. In case you're wondering what they look like, they, uh, if I slip this one out, they look like this. Now, for the Aussie-made Assure 1 locks, they did not come with an expansion module. You had to buy either a Wi-Fi module or a Zigbee module. <coughs> the... Um, the version 2s from the US came with a Wi-Fi module already in them. They are physically an exact replica of this. So in my naivety, I was like, I'll just slip this in. And then after speaking to Aaron Powell a bit, my uh, my mate who travels in our circles, who convinced me to go for Yale, thanks Aaron, <laughs> he did discover that version 1 is not compatible with version 2, so these are now surplus to these. I'm going to need to eBay these or something like that. <laughs> Once I'm convinced I'm not going to get an Aussie lock, no problems, I've got the Wi-Fi ones. Now, I've got a tweet thread going on all this, which I need to update. Where I'm finally at now is using the August integration Home Assistant, I do have good digital control with the locks. There's a tiny bit of lag compared to Bluetooth, like one or two seconds, which usually doesn't matter because when you lock the door, all you do is you just press an icon. So it's, it's a physical lock. So you go out through the door, little keypad on the outside, a little yale symbol, you press that and it goes, it closes the lock, no problems. When you unlock the door, you're normally walking up to it from the street. So you can, you know, when you're five metres away, you can go, hey, what's her name on my watch who I can't talk to by name, otherwise she starts listening, unlock the door. Now, that's where we're at now. I can do the whole thing via the Siri bits, which, which is awesome because I've got the Assure uh, not the sure, the August integration in Home Assistant talking to the locks, which is great. And then I'm using the HomeKit bridge to surface them into HomeKit. And now I have them like literally, if I look at my lock screen just here, uh, it's like front door unlocked, front gate locked. And I can just press the icon here or talk to my watch and it unlocks. And it's beautiful. <laughs> It's beautiful. I love it. The bit which is much less beautiful is the app, which as I've spoken about before, I'm running on this busted up old iPhone. Busted because our, uh, our son dropped it. We've all dropped phones and cracked screens before, but it's like four or $500 to replace a screen. So I just, I'd much rather just hand down my next iPhone later on. He's got another spare at the moment. The app is an absolute piece of garbage. And I've got a, a Twitter thread just showing how rubbish it is. Now, for the most part, that doesn't matter because <clears throat> we're, uh, we're now unlocking via Siri. The, the gap is that if we want to set up like pins for other people, let's say I want to set up a pin for the cleaner or something like that, you have to do that either via the app or 
as Aaron has done with his version 1, the Zigbee module exposes a whole bunch of other methods on the door lock, including the ability to do things like set pins. That's not exposed <laughs> by the Wi-Fi module. It looks like only the Zigbee module, but the conclusion I'm starting to draw, and, and feel free to go into research for me, I don't think the Assure 2 has a Zigbee module yet, just as it doesn't have a Matter module yet. Now, to make things even worse, there is a clear fragmentation where Yale has divested the Aussie business from the US business, and it looks like these two things are going completely different directions. Now, I knew that was going to happen before I got the lock, and I was willing to take that risk. And a lot of my thinking here is that this lock will last until Yale comes along and does a lock that has home key in it. So proper home key where any of us can like have our watch, touch the watch on there, and, and that's it that I'm quite certain will be an entirely new lock because they're going to need the hardware to be able to do the NFC style thing. Now, maybe that's later this year or next year or something like that. I can't imagine it would be too long because I think HomeKey is going to become the, the de facto standard, certainly for, for iPeople. Uh, so it's a matter of time. <laughs> Mark's here. It was great to see you present live last week at AIS Conference, the Association of Independent Schools, New South Wales, here in Queensland. Uh, thanks, Mark, for coming along, though. That was really cool. That was, um, I was saying to Charlotte, we, we did this event here, and a few weeks before that, we did Cyber West in Perth. And maybe it's because we haven't done a lot of in-person events the last few years, but both those events, everyone was like so super, super friendly and ingratiating and, and just, just fun to be with. So thank you for being part of that. You, you honestly made it a, a very fun experience for us as well. Ben's here. I like August, works well, uh, from a guest perspective anyway. Let's see, the, the guest is where, and I'm going to add this to my ranty tweet thread, the guest is where things get a, a little bit interesting because one of the value propositions of IoT door locks, if I scroll back a little bit, some people look at this and go, why would you connect that? <laughs> why would you want to connect your door lock to the internet? And it's a kind of stupid question <laughs> because it really shows you haven't given it much thought. There are many reasons. Uh, a really good example is I don't want to carry keys anymore. I'm sick of carrying keys. I lose keys just as often as I lose my wallet. And as of September this year, when Queensland finally gets digital driver's licenses, I won't be carrying that around either. I will carry my watch, which is hard to lose because it's belted to my wrist, my phone, which I occasionally lose, but then I can push the little thing on my watch and it beeps and I can find it. And unfortunately, every single car has car keys that I have to carry around, but they all have an air tag on them so I can find them. So I'd like to no longer carry normal keys around, which is great. Uh, I would like to be able to know if I have locked the house up. So if I go into Home Assistant now, I should be able to see that... One door is going to be locked. I think the uh, the gate, rather, is going to be locked. We haven't gone through the gate today. Where are we? I'll put on the front page of Home Assistant here. So I can see front gate is locked. Front door is unlocked. Now I can, and I should do this today. <laughs> I should get distracted from doing other important stuff and do this. Uh, I can go through, ooh, Home Assistant update. I'll do that later. I can go through and create an automation so that when we go to bed, and this little button we press when we go to bed turns all the house stuff off. At the moment, if we do that and either the garage door or the carport door isn't shut, 
then we we get the Sonos speaking and saying, hey, you know, you've left a thing open, go and close it. And occasionally we have accidentally left stuff open. This is great for the same way. So I can now start to get that to speak and say, hey, you've left the gate unlocked or you've left the front door unlocked, which is fantastic. In terms of the guest thing, uh, which is the point that Ben just made, being able to, uh, let's say, our, our next door neighbours, traditionally we have given a set of keys to. Like if we're away and a, a circuit trips and you need to change it or a package arrives and you want to leave it inside the door. Yeah, there's the stuff you do with neighbours and friends and things. Uh, my parents have a set of keys so they can come and go. Uh, the, the kids, we haven't given keys. I mean, they're, they're, they're 10 and 13. They're normally not coming and going on their own. But, but now they have a pin so they can come and just enter the pin and get in. Uh, for guests, things like the cleaners, like the cleaners have had keys so they can let themselves in and out. We now no longer have to do that. We just give them a pin. And the very proposition there is that obviously it's easy to revoke the pin at any time. It's much easier than revoking a key because really the only way you revoke a key is you change the lock. We can also do things like set hours that the pin will work. You know, maybe we only want the pin to work on a Tuesday morning when the cleaners come in. And it doesn't work on another day of the week or doesn't work before or after a certain time or doesn't work on the weekend. So a good value proposition there. Maybe we're expecting a delivery and we're willing to allow the delivery person to either use a pin to unlock the door themselves or we remotely unlock it. Lots of good value propositions. I'm not worried about the security of it insofar as, as I said many times before, the people breaking into the house, the car, this sort of thing, uh, are Yahoo kids who are unsophisticated and have too much time on their hands. It's not the lockpicking lawyer and it's not the hooded hacker who knows how to get through IoT locks. That, that's not the problem. My, my biggest concern with anything IoT related is what if we inadvertently leave something unlocked or inadvertently unlock something that we didn't mean to. That's my bigger concern. Okay, where were we? Uh, ben says, I look after f my friend's dogs when he's away. I assume it's the same sort of thing. Now, here's where we were. The, the, the way Yale does this, and I, I'm always fascinated to look at, uh, this is the installation instructions for Yale, always fascinated to look at this from the perspective of the target demographic. An IoT door lock, like Yale. Let's go and have a look at this. <laughs> Who is their target demographic? And the way we're going to figure this out, uh, let's just go, Yale is sure lock. We'll go to the Aussie one. The way you figure this out is you go to the website and you see who are the people on the website? Uh, smart products, Assure Lock series, here we go. And normally what you see when you go to the website, maybe the Australian one is less, <coughs> how do I say this without being insulting? Uh, less glitzy? <laughs> Let me go to Yale Assure 2 on the US website, here we go. And let's see what we see then. See, this is different. You go to the Australian one and it's just like, here's the lock. You go to the American one and there's families and people and they're laughing and they're happy and they don't have a care in the world because they have an IoT door lock. <laughs> so the, my point is, is that you look at this and there's... <laughs> I'm not going to say what I thought I was going to say. 
there is a cross section of people representing everybody and everybody is laughing and happy at how wonderful their door lock is. And the point I'm trying to make here is they're not geeks like me and probably you. They're like normal everyday people. So they're targeting the locks at the masses. So I always find it interesting to look at something like the Yale Assure app here and go, uh, oh, I'm going to turn my Bluetooth back on because I turned it off while I was testing some stuff. Look at the Yale app here and go, how would the people there, let's pick the, the first lady in the picture there. She's a, she's a normal everyday mum who just wants to look after her kids. So how does normal everyday mum who just wants to look after her kids use this app? And some of it is just so shitty. I'll give you an example. I'm going to go to the section here. There's a guest list, right? Uh, now, what you can do on the guest list is you can invite someone. And when you click on invite, and incidentally, this thing feels like it was made in the 90s. I don't know, we didn't have iPhones in the 90s, but it feels like if someone in the 90s made an iPhone app, this is what it would look like. It feels so crusty and old. Yeah, okay, invite someone, uh, and you have two options here. You can invite them for app access or personal entry code. Now, I was thinking the app would be kind of cool for the kids because then they could have it on their Apple Watch and they would have to be physically present. I think you can make sure that you're physically present and it just Bluetooth, and then they could unlock the door. Now, when you invite someone for app access, you can invite via a mobile, num mobile number or invite a contact. So I put in Ari's mobile number uh, and he got an invite and it takes him to the US app store to download this app. And start to see the problem. He's not on the US app store, he's on the Australian app store. But because of the way Yale has divided down the world, they've got the app for the Yale Assure 2 is only in the US app store, you can't get in the Australian one. In other words, if you're an American and you buy one of these and you have a visitor from overseas, they can't get the app. <laughs> so you can't invite them to use the app. You have to set up the pin. And setting up the pin is clusty as, clusty, crusty as, you know, exactly what as crusty is. Uh, invite, personal entry code. Uh, who do you want to invite? Actually, who have we got on here already? Why is Ari not here anymore? Damn, did we knock Ari off? Okay, invite, personal entry code. First name is Ari, last name is Hunt. Uh, and then you go to the next screen. Pin access, always. Uh, so then you can do recurring, then you can do temporary. But the problem is to do that, you need to have the mobile app, which you can only get from the US App Store. Uh, anyway, I'm spending too much time on this. Anyway, distractions. Stefan's here. They don't have a care in the world because they haven't tried to pair it with their phones yet. <laughs> yeah, this is the people here. It's like they're happy. They have no idea the pain that is about to befall them. Now, I mean, we've all used lots of mobile apps before, which, which frankly do a good job. I mean, the, the vast majority of apps I use day in and day out are actually really good. It's amazing when you step back and look at the technology for a moment, how cool stuff is. But this is just a steaming pile of shit. <laughs> it's really bad. And I got a video down here. Uh, anyway, anyway, it is a temporary thing for the moment. Where were we? <laughs> What's next? Uh, the, the first thing I had on my list here, actually, and I'm not going to name them just yet. I will be next weekend. Next week. Disclosure pain. I have spoken many, many times about disclosure pain, about how difficult it is to do disclosure. And there's one at the moment. Um, and I'm going to be cautious what I say. So the subscribers on my on my Twitter will, will know 
this organization because I do share more information uh, for subscribers by design because a bunch of stuff I don't want to just broadcast to the masses yet as points in time. <laughs> so it's a disclosure here where it is a significant corpus of data and I have a connection to the organization and we're having discussions, but the difficulty in uh, it's, it's We've been talking about this for days with this organization. I'm saying there is a massive trove of data here. Here are the reasons why I believe it is from your system. Here is a, a sample of it. I'll, I'll give you the whole thing. Uh, you know, here is the information I have about it based on the person that sent it to me. Let's get this ball rolling. Let, let's get the thing disclosed. Let's get people notified. And it is exceedingly, exceedingly difficult to take the organization down the disclosure path. Let's say that. And I'm at the point now where over the last couple of hours, I've gone, okay, I have a sizable number of Have I Been Pwned subscribers in this data breach. I don't want to give all the raw numbers just yet. Obviously, I will when it loads. A sizable number. So I've started contacting a bunch of them and going, hey, uh, would you help me do some data breach verification? Uh, if you're willing to help, I'll, I'll give you the name of the organization. I'll give you your record and, and you can just tell me, uh, I'll write the SQL query for you. Select star from users where ID equals blah. Do you get more than one or do you get any records? Do you get more than zero records? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. What are the chances of that? So for me, it's finding that balance of I, like I, I know in my heart of hearts, this is this is legitimate. I know what it is. And now we're just getting it all, all confirmed. How far do I push this organisation to get things disclosed quickly versus recognising that it's not a good day for them and it's a difficult process? But there's also a point in any one of these disclosures where it's like, look, you're starting to take the piss, you know, by by not just acknowledging this and moving on. So I think what we are. I think that we are within about a day of this data going into Have I Been Pwned now. Um, I'm just going to send them all the feedback I got from subscribers. Like, well, here's a whole bunch of responses <laughs> from people saying, yes, I did use this service. Yes, that is my data. What are the chances that this might actually be legitimate? Anyway, we'll see how that works out. That's uh, it, It's an inevitable, this is what frustrates me, is it's an inevitable outcome the breach will be loaded. They'll get lots of angry emails from people. They will have to disclose it. They will have to talk to regulators and law enforcement. Like the, you, you will have to do all these things. All you're doing right now is just deciding how painful you want to make it along the way. Mm. Now, speaking of painful, let's talk about Azure API management and Cloudflare. Actually, that I led to that wrong. The troubleshooting process was a bit painful. I actually found most of this really interesting and... Uh, it, it might have been a little while since, can't be that long, but a little while since I had done a big sort of technical breakdown thread on something. And people love this. I had so much, uh, so much nice feedback from this. So I thought I'd explain the situation and, uh, you know, we can, we can all enjoy this little, this little process together. So, have I been pwned has an API? You pay... $3.50 upwards, depending on how many requests per minute you want to make, and you get access to the API. Now, it's a, it's a pretty simple API. It's you know, uh, whatever it is, forward slash API, forward slash breach to account, forward slash test at example.com. 
or whatever it may be, and you pass an API key which you have previously purchased, and then you get a result back. And there is a rate limit, and the entry level is 10 requests per minute. Uh, and then if you pay a little bit more money, you get anywhere up to 500 requests per minute. Now, the way the key provisioning, the key verification, and the rate limiting works is it uses Azure API management. Now, I actually drew an entire diagram of this yesterday because I was explaining it to Charlotte. Uh, she is the COO of Have I Been Pwned. She does all the operational things behind the scenes. You don't see as much, but she's constantly interested in how the mechanics work. So I was like, okay, let, let me draw it for you. So this, this is the entire Have I Been Pwned API ecosystem. I'll walk you through it. You have a customer who is using an API key. When they make a request, it goes to Cloudflare. Hundreds of edge nodes around the world, you guys know how that works. From Cloudflare, it then goes to Azure API Management. Azure API Management validates the key is accurate, uh, makes sure that you're working within the rate limit, and then it passes the request on to Azure Functions. Azure Functions is the one that then goes into the underlying table storage construct, picks the record back up, and passes it out the other way. Now, explaining something like this to someone who is not as, not as technical as you is enormously valuable. And as I did that, and as I showed her what I had done, I realized something I'd cocked up. <laughs> something important I'd cocked up, which, which I fixed fortunately very quickly after I'd cocked up in the first place. But it's enormous value in explaining technical constructs to people who are less technical than you. Okay, so APM, Azure API Management. Now this is an API gateway as a service. There are multiple tiers in this service. There is a consumption-based tier. You pay for what you use. This is what I started, have I been pwned on? in terms of the API, back in September 2019, I think I rolled this out, maybe August 2019. I started on consumption because my thinking was we we're in a, this is like a serverless uh, functions kind of world where rather than having logical machines of a fixed size, we just uh, pay for what you use. I didn't understand at the time that the APIM consumption model was limited to 400 keys. And I hit 400 really quickly and it broke everything. So instead, I rolled to a basic model. And I think it cost me about 140 Aussie dollars a month for a basic model. It is a fixed size, fixed cost. And that was fine. Now, the, think about what the service does. It needs to intercept every single request that comes through the gateway. Now, how many requests are we doing here? It's in some of the graphs I shared. Um, it's, it's millions a day. Um, single digit millions a day from memory. Why do I have so many windows? This is why I keep getting distracted <laughs> by different things. I definitely have a window here that has, uh, I can close, I can close that whole thing. Having, you know, you can do it. Chrome. I don't know if you know this. Chrome's got this nice little arrow. You just, uh, you arrow it down like that. And then you type in the name of the tab that you want. And I know that I have my Azure, portal open here. Bam, there it is. Okay, so where were we? We're doing, oh, actually going into, well, I'll come back to the numbers because there's what hits the gateway and then there's what goes through. So everything's going through this gateway and then the gateway has to decide uh, what it does. Now, I shared some figures before that shows that basically there's this sort of three main responses that the gateway has. Uh, one response is 
everything's cool and the request just goes through to functions, it executes and comes back with your, your results. Another one that it has is invalid API key. So someone has used a key that is not valid. Now, why is it not valid? A few different options. Uh, number one, someone typoed it. Number two, probably the more likely one, is that someone's key has lapsed. They have not paid their bill. They have not renewed their subscription. The key has lapsed. It's been deleted. They're now going to have a been pwned with a key that no longer works. Now, I was seeing, if I, I'll probably just go back to the tweet thread on this. I was seeing a very large number of requests per day with invalid keys. So one of my tweets here shows 520, let's call it 525,000 requests a day with a key that just simply wasn't valid. So that's request type or response type two. Response type three is rate limit exceeded. So if you've got, let's say, uh, 10 requests per minute and you make more than one request in a six in, in a six six second period, you will get an HTTP 429 and a retry after header. So if you make one request at the six or one request at the zero second mark and then one request at the one second mark, you'll get a retry after that says five seconds. So you've got to wait. Now, in my graph here, 525,000 invalid keys, but 1.64 million rate limit exceeded requests. This is in a 24 hour period. So that's more than 2 million requests in a 24 hour period that never went through to the origin, that, that really are only there because someone has cocked up something. So either they're using a key that isn't right or they're making too many requests and they're getting 429s. So that's, that's a sort of an interesting analysis of how Gateway works, but that's not how I got to this thing to begin with. Where I got here to begin with is I had an organization reach out uh, as a subscriber who was on a 500 RPM key and they said, we have noticed that things have started to slow down over the last week. And I went and I had a look at the underlying Azure function and I looked at, uh, you get reports on things like the 50th percentile. And the 50th percentile was something like 45 milliseconds. And it really hadn't changed the last week versus, say, the first week of May. And I went back to them and went, you know, everything's fine from my side. It is obviously you who <laughs> are the problem. And they're like, no, 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 like it's really, it's really slow. So we, we started to delve more. And I said, tell you what, make a bunch of requests, find a slow one and give me the Cloudflare Ray ID. So every request that goes through Cloudflare gets a Ray ID. Now, keep in mind, they're doing like trillions of requests a day. Every request gets a Ray ID. If you're on one of their enterprise plans, which they donate to have a been pwned, you can then go and pull the enterprise logs and you can take the Ray ID and you can find the exact request that went through. Now, I do disclose this in all the privacy and terms and conditions and everything, there is logging for a period of time. And I, I think Cloudflare keeps it for about six days by default from memory. So you can go back, you can pull this record. It will show everything from the path that was requested through to what the response from the edge was. Was there any rate limiting? Were there any Cloudflare rules? The start time, the finish time, the response time, everything. And Cloudflare was actually saying these guys were right. Like one of their requests took about 60 seconds to come back. And I managed to find the one, and I'm, I'm seeing Azure Functions, everything's perfect. Cloudflare, 60 seconds. Like, all right, <laughs> go to the diagram. There's one thing in the middle between Cloudflare and the function, which is APIM. So I go to APIM, and everything looks pretty normal. So the volume of requests looks normal. 
the utilization looks normal. So there's, there's a capacity chart. The one thing that doesn't look normal is there's a response time graph. And at the start of May, it's about 200 milliseconds, which is interesting because if the underlying infrastructure is doing about 40 something milliseconds, APIM does add quite a bit of overhead to take that key, read it, verify the key, make sure you're working within the rate limit. It's actually a lot of overhead. Started about 200 milliseconds, and then I can see about a week ago, this is all on a tweet thread, the graph's going up and up and up and up until we're getting to the point where it's averaging about one second. It's like five times longer. No increase in traffic. Uh, we hadn't changed any code, hadn't changed any config within that period of time. I think it had been two weeks ago we last deployed code, but you can see a very clear uptick. <clears throat> so as I go through this thread, I've got uh, a graph here of the underlying infrastructure. Uh, in fact, we can see here that it looks like on average, we're looking at about 20 milliseconds response time, uh, which, is, which is great, no problems there. I talked a little bit here about the different uh, responses from the APIM gateway. So the 429s or 401s we just discussed. And long story short, I end up going, well, I think the fastest, easiest fix for this is that you can scale APIM out. So we're on this basic tier. I thought about, do I go up to standard? But just looking at the the specs, it's, it, it didn't look to me like you got more performance per se, but you got like more caching capacity and the ability to scale more or scale out more. So here's what I did. I just scaled out. So same instance, 140 bucks. Add another 140 bucks next to it. Now I've got two instances and suddenly the response times just plummeted. So everything came down, not just to 200 odd milliseconds where it was the start of May, but to about 70 milliseconds. It's making me wonder what it is now. If I go and have a look at APIM, what has it done overnight? So this, just by adding one more instance, like massively, massively reduced the response times. Uh, and, and in this case, the customer was like, yep, fine, awesome. Like everything is now doing exactly what we were hoping it would do. Uh, all right, so if I look at today, APIM is saying the response time is averaging 140 milliseconds. So that's great compared to even a month ago, which was 50% higher than that. So good result. Don't know why. <laughs> so I'm discussing with folks in the APIM team, why has this happened? We're trying to figure this out because it... Obviously, it shouldn't, and it, 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 does, it does erode your trust in, in the cloud just a little bit when weird, unexplainable stuff starts happening. Now, mind you, this is stuff I can monitor too. So I am building out my Azure dashboard with more and more metrics that are relevant to the health and well-being of the system. So one of the things I've put on my dashboard is the response times of APIM. I'm gonna set up an alert for that as well today. So let's say if it goes up beyond, I don't know, an average of 200 milliseconds for an hour, I'll get an email. Parallel discussion, speaking about me getting distracted by stuff, we recently installed a projector and a screen in our like entertainment room and took down the big, I don't know what it was, 75 inch TV or something like that. Took that down. And I have a section of wall here where I'm imagining this TV can sit vertically and give me a little sock. I'd like to have a little sock, a little security operations center that sits there on the wall and have all of these graphs and everything just permanently there on the screen. And then when I walk past, I'd see stuff going up. 
And then in my brain, I'm going, oh, maybe I could just like drive this off a Raspberry Pi or something like that. And then maybe I could use Grafana or something like that to get all of the graphs from combination of Azure and Cloudflare and Stripe and put them all up there. And then I realized I don't have any time. <laughs> so if anyone knows how to do this or you want to build this, like, yeah, let me know. I'm going to continue on this story. Let me have a look at the comments here. Uh, do you recommend the services like LifeLock, etc., or do you just recommend keeping your credit frozen with the agencies? Very different depending on where you are in the world. I do think credit monitoring of some kind is useful. I have had that since the 90s, not just for cybersecurity, identity theft, all that sort of stuff, but I, I want to know what people are asking about me, what information is sent. So I do think something like that is useful. Um, Rob says, very common. I see that almost once a week. I'm doing troubleshooting. I think you're talking about my my APIM things. Wayne says, sounds like a routing issue. <clears throat> Maybe. Wayne also says, screen should be on the wall behind you. It would look amazing. Possibly. Possibly. There is wall space. I'm not ruling it out. I would need to think about what I put on there when, because there's some stuff I'd like to see that I don't necessarily want to broadcast to everyone. So I'd have to think about that. Stefan says, I might have done a ton of Grafana dashboards with Azure in the past. I know that guy. All right. I'll add that to our list, Stefan. <laughs> All right. So continuing on this thread, I'll fix the problem. Fix the APIM problem. Now, I would actually like to try scaling it back a little bit later, but I'll explain why later. Fix the APIM problem, but <clears throat> aside of having this, this flashback, which is in the very early days when I first launched the API, the API just ran in the same web app as everything else, monolithic app. And I noticed that I started to get abuse to the app that I wasn't happy about. I've blogged about all this at the time. So I put a rate limit in app and the rate limit was one request every 1500 milliseconds. If you did more than that from any given IP address, then you would get an HTTP 429 response. And all of this happened in app. But what started to happen is that people would just, they'd get 429, they just keep hammering away. And that the problem with that is that even though 429 was being returned, my app still had to process the requests. So my app is doing all this legitimate stuff and all of this illegitimate stuff as well. And I have to keep scaling and paying based on the illegitimate stuff. And I had a flashback to that because if we look at, if we have a look at what's happened here, in the, let's say the last, uh, let's just say yesterday on APIM. Yesterday, APIM did 4.5 million requests. And I know that about 2 million of those were a combination of 401s, unauthorized, and 429s, too many requests. So approaching 50% of my traffic is stuff that shouldn't be going there anyway. And that 50% of traffic is taking resources from APIM. It's causing me to have to scale things out. And that's hitting my bottom line and it's hitting everyone's performance. And I went, I wonder if I can go back to my graph, my chart here, and I can push those requests from APIM back up to Cloudflare and respond there. So I made Cloudflare rules. <clears throat> now, this is super, super cool. It's available in Cloudflare Enterprise. You can go through and create an edge rate limiting rule. So I created a rule here for invalid API keys. So the 401s are kind of easy. When someone uses an invalid key, it will always be invalid. An invalid key never becomes valid. You cannot rehydrate or reactivate a key. All you can do is create a new key. 
This is literally the way it's all configured in APM. So if your key expires, for example, uh, because you haven't paid your bill, and then you go through and you pay your bill, you get a new key. It's different value. So I went through and I created a rule. Now, <laughs> this, this rule did have a problem, which I later had to fix. I'm not going to get into that now because it's embarrassing. But I fixed it quickly after I explained the chart <laughs> to Charlotte. So effectively, if a request comes in through Cloudflare, and it is to one of these API PARs, when it has the same header value of HIBP API key, so one of the things you can do here is say the request comes in, look at an attribute, which is the header value. I want to increment the counter when the response status equals 401. So in other words, if someone is requesting the API and they're getting 401 back, I'm going to start a counter. Now, the last part of the rule here says that if that counter hits 10 within a one minute period, so if someone has made 10 requests that have resulted in a 401 within a one minute period, then we're going to block any future requests for the next five minutes that match that pattern. And we're going to block them and come back with an HTTP 429 and a response body that says, you've sent too many unauthorized requests to the API, try again soon. So this is really, really cool. Like if we think back to the chart here, we're saying instead of replying here where I've got to pay and you're consuming resources that are taking capacity away from other people, push it back up to Cloudflare and block it there. Now, I later on got a lot more aggressive on that because I went, as I just discussed, like th th there's never a time where you get a 401 and then later on you send the same key back and don't get a 401. It's always going to 401. So later on, I said, as soon as you have one request that results in a 401, then for a duration of a day, you get blocked, which is fine, which is fine. That was the longest I could do a day. And it was kind of interesting to see yeah, when I go through and I look at my dashboard now in uh, in APIM, uh, in, in Azure, look at the APIM dashboard, and I can see that the number of subscription key invalid requests uh, is coming down to, it's going to round to just about zero. Still got a bunch of 429s. Now, I did the same rule for 429s. And, and the rule there effectively says, uh, I loosened it off a little bit, but if you have 20 429s within a one minute period, then block for the next one minute and also return a 429 and we'll have a retry after header. So what, let's say you're on a, a, a 10 RPM key. So you'll make request number one goes through fine. Request number two, you make after one second, you get a retry after header that says try again in five seconds. But you don't wait five seconds. You keep going, going. You do this 20 times within a one-minute period. Then Cloudflare steps in and says, okay, now you're going to get a 429 with a retry after that says 60 seconds because you're getting blocked for one minute. Now, you can try and make another request 20 seconds into that, and your retry after header says 40 seconds. It's not sliding, so it's fixed. It's just this 60-second block. Now, that has massively, massively reduced the number of 429's rate limit exceeded that APIM has had to deal with. It also caused a drop in the number of successful requests going to the origin. And I, this had me stumped for a bit. <laughs> so I got my chart and I was looking at my chart and going, why, if I'm blocking based on 429's, which were blocked anyway, am I seeing less traffic on the origin? <clears throat> and what I realized, and that the subscriber that had the initial problems actually helped flag this because they're a pretty heavy user, what I realized is that the semantic intent 
of a 429 is that you have made too many requests and the retry after header says you must now wait this long before you make the next request. So the idea is, is that you wait before you make the next request. But what a bunch of subscribers are doing is they're not waiting. They're just like YOLO, more requests. Hit, 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 hit. And eventually, let's say we go back to the canonical sort of 10 RPM situation. You know, you made a request number one at zero seconds, request number two at one second. So rather than just waiting that five seconds until they get through to the six second period, they just keep hitting, 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 hitting. They might have, let's say they do it once every second. They get four, two, nine at one second, two second, three second, four second, five second. And then at six second, they get a, they get a successful response. Every one of those requests that results in 429, APIM has to process and deal with, and I have to pay for. So what's happening now is that because they do it too many times, rather than being able to still make 10 requests in a minute, but they might have 50 429s in there, what's happening is they're getting blocked at the Cloudflare level for another full minute. So they're getting no requests at all going through Cloudflare for the full minute afterwards, and that is reducing the number of successful requests going to the origin. <clears throat> now, I was very worried I would wake up to a full inbox this morning. I thought <clears throat> people are going to get pissed. I'm going to get tickets. <laughs> I'm going to have to link them through to the thread and explain it and ask them to politely reduce the request rate. Zero tickets <laughs> when I wake up. So that was, that was a pleasing result. Now, a couple of my really heavy subscribers did actually pick this up yesterday, uh, and, and we're having some discussions with them. <clears throat> and, and frankly, I just got to think about kind of how hard nosed you want to be on that. You know, like how many times should someone be able to break the rate limit without getting some sort of a penalty, and then how long should the penalty be? I think that's something that we're going to tweak a little bit, but maybe I just need to reinforce a little bit more that you really need to try and stay in the rate limit, otherwise it's going to be detrimental. Okay, let's see what the other comments here. Uh, Wayne says, switch that via Stream Deck button. This would be the screen if I do a screen on the back wall. Could do. Also, the Boker effect would make it hard to read. It well, True, except when I do this, see how everything in the back starts to come into focus, and then it goes out of focus. So if I was to walk away from the computer for a moment, and then it starts to focus maybe back there, that's, you're not going to put sensitive stuff on the wall. Like that, the whole point is not to put sensitive stuff on the wall. Uh, ben says APM tracking would make an, uh, an interesting dashboard, and it would, it would. There'd be a lot of really cool stuff could put on the dashboard. But, you know, like to, to be specific about it, there, there are some graphs, particularly in Cloudflare, related to security controls <laughs> that I don't necessarily want other people seeing. There are uh, graphs related to Stripe and revenue, which I don't particularly want to blast on the on the back wall. Uh, there are probably other things in there as well. You know, uh, disputes, for example, from Stripe that that I'd I'd be it'd be handy to walk past and see. So I know if there's stuff that needs actioning, but I don't necessarily want to put it there. Um, I also suspect that a a glowing white screen on the back. Oh, I could do dark mode. Cool. Could do dark mode. I was going to say that'd be a bit too harsh on the eye but all right i'm taking this on board this is good feedback it's, it's interesting i'm tempted <laughs> let me i don't have time do you want to come and visit stefan if i if i fly you down here would you 
would you sit there and build my dashboard for me from Iceland? Where do we end up on, on this thread? Um, I think that pretty much covers everything. I, I'm going to keep diving into this. Charlotte asked me last night when I was explaining all this, she's like, do you actually enjoy doing this? I was like, yeah, it's, this is actually kind of fun. Like I, I have something that's a massive amount of of time and investment and interest, but it's it, it's actually fun when when I don't feel the that there's too much pressure. Now, uh, for example, we've had times where something has broken. Um, a perfect example is Azure Functions, the keys that you can have on Azure Functions, <laughs> Microsoft, and, and these are keys that we give to enterprise subscribers. Microsoft rotated all the keys, not deliberately, but apparently there was this like edge case due to resource exhaustion. So if the function had resource exhaustion, the keys could get rotated. So suddenly the likes of Mozilla and 1Password are calling me up going, hey, uh, nothing works anymore. That's not fun. I don't enjoy that. And it's solely on my shoulder at the moment too. That's not a lot of fun. Stefan's keen. <laughs> I think Wayne's like, shit, I'd do that. I'd come to Australia. <laughs> Early. Interesting story. The line between use and abuse can sometimes come down to intent, which is tricky to a certain from behavior. Got me thinking about my own API. And I guess it's the, the, like the fun thing is, is having a project that, that's popular and does have a lot of traffic and a lot of visibility. You get to see all these use cases, which I, I certainly, well, have I been pwned got exceedingly popular very quickly for some reason. So I've, I've always had to deal with this to one extent or another. But it, it, it's certainly a lot more interesting than Hello World. Stefan, that's why software developers love Lego. We like building stuff. That's true, but I've I've got that I've got that Ferrari Lego, the one that will match the the Lambo and the Chiron back there, uh, which I have built the gearbox for, and that has taken me about nine months, I think. <laughs> I haven't been able to get back to it. Software developers also like IoT and other random crap that's on the desk here. Ben says everything I release and oh, uh, every time. I released an app, someone tries something strange that I never th uh, would have thought of and it breaks every time. I've got a few different weird things on Have I Been Pwned at the moment that break that I just didn't expect. And it's not necessarily people trying to break it as well. You know, if, if we look at all of these 429s and things here, th this is not people trying to do the wrong thing. Um, th this is just people not really having thought through the best way to build their software. Give me an example of what's what's breaking, and this is still something that needs to be fixed in my domain search. Um, .ad, which I think is Andorra, and .cd, TLDs, maybe CDs Congo or somewhere like that. You can't do domain searches on those at the moment. And the reason you can't is those are reserved extensions. And somewhere in the pipeline of the Azure function, I need to allow those extensions. And the reason they're causing a problem is because they appear in a GET request in the URL. So at the moment, domain searches for those fail. But apparently I don't have like a lot of Andorran users and it's not really a problem. Um, but that's just sort of like weird, glitchy stuff. Anyway. <laughs> Ken says, that's why I have no clients. Okay, fair enough. Now, where were we? What else is on my list here? There, I know there's a data breach. There's, a, there's the JD group data breach. Oh, the Apple bits. Apple bits and then the data breach. The, the, the Apple stuff, um, I, I'm a PC guy. 
PC, laptop, but I have an Apple Watch and an iPhone and an iPad, uh, and I use these very, very extensively, uh, and particularly as an independent. <laughs> I'm always carrying them around. And uh, you know, I was thinking last night, we are walking back from dinner, we walked out to dinner, uh, I was thinking my, my work hours are basically my waking hours. And that sounds a little bit traumatic, <laughs> which, which it kind of can be at times, but I also love what I do, and I do do a lot of fun stuff amongst those work hours, unless it's door locks. So having these devices and having them be efficient and fast and effective and productive is like massively important to me. And I'm always really fascinated when we see stuff come out from the WWDC, which is what I'll talk about in a moment, and of course when we get to September and we see the announcements about all the new devices. And, and I do tend to be an early adopter with these things. They're tax deductions. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good excuse. So I woke up the other day at 2.30 in the morning, and, and this is what happens to me sometimes when I've got a lot on my mind. Namely, it was that domain search stuff that I just wasn't getting time on, and my brain was like, you got to wake up and do stuff. So I got up. Uh, in fact, I did an Insta360 video. My camera is still sitting on the shelf over there. It's there, Boker affected. Uh I got up, did an Insta360 video, time-lapse, looks really, really cool, published that, time-lapse, and because of course 360 video, it's just like I zoomed around, it's like here's the sun rising, here's me sitting there doing work, sun's still rising, I'm on the laptop now, now the sun's rising, I've disappeared, now I've come back downstairs, finally with Charlotte and had another coffee, looks really cool. Anyway, while I was up there doing that, WWDC 23 was on. There are a few things here that I actually thought were pretty cool, uh, and the number one thing that popped out to me, and it, it seemed to barely get a mention, was find my item sharing. So AirTags, now for those of you not familiar with what an AirTag is, I still have a spare one here that says L, <laughs> which will be used for obvious reasons. It's a little bit, I think I can see it on the angle. Uh, they're these tiny little suckers here that you can use to stalk people, that you can use to track your items with. <laughs> Don't stalk people with AirTags. You can use to track your items with, but one of the shortcomings has always been that it pairs to one person. Now, we're all in a family unit. Charlotte and the kids and I are all here as a family plan. We share app purchases and home kit and all the rest of it together. You couldn't share an AirTag. So I've got an AirTag in each of the cars. So if ever it gets stolen, there's some trackability there. Uh, also, if, if, if we're parked in like a massive outdoor car park, you can <laughs> find your car again. But they're paired to mine, not to hers. So... I don't know, that just seems like an obvious thing. My parents have a dog with an air tag on it and it's paired to my mum's phone, not to my dad's. So that seems like a good fix. Seeing some comments just here, which I'll look at and then we'll come back to the eye things. Stefan says, uh, if it's anything like the compression issue with the cache reserve, it's typically that you can't configure those TLDs in Azure. Maybe, I don't know. We're gonna need to work that out. Ali has a MacBook Air next to his TV, which has an Apple TV. It's nice that I can quickly cast, and the MBA is never it off. I think that's uh, that's probably an American sport that is always somewhere, <laughs> if I've got that right. Uh, now, other bits and pieces here that I thought were really useful. Um, adaptive audio. That sounded interesting. So that my AirPods are sitting here on my desk. I use my AirPods... Pro 2 a lot with phone calls and things. 
So it seems like, uh, I'll just read the wide description here. Say goodbye to that awkward moment fumbling for your AirPods button when someone starts talking to you. A new adaptive audio feature for the AirPods Pro automatically senses when you're speaking to turn down your music. That sounds pretty cool. That sounds pretty cool. Now, mind you, you've still got to be there talking to someone, assumably face-to-face with AirPods in, which always feels a bit obnoxious, if I'm completely honest. But at least if you're like out walking and someone comes up to you and says something and start a conversation, it's... That, that'll be neat. Uh, so uh, Mac OS has got Sonoma coming. I'm not a Mac OS user, but I do know that that wallpaper looks exactly like Windows XP. <laughs> and how they did not see that, or did they see that, when they're designing it is beyond me. But that, that was the first thing I saw about it. Like I'm just looking at the, at the hashtag and looking at the tweets and people like, hey, look at how much Sonoma looks like XP. So um, good on you, Apple. CarPlay. I think CarPlay has gone unloved for a long time. Now, we use CarPlay on our AMG Mercedes. I don't have it in the GTR. I don't have it in the McLaren. I really, really wish I did because I use it really extensively and it forces you to put your phone away because you've just got everything on the screen. It feels like it's gone unloved. There's an update here where someone else in the car with you can control your CarPlay. So, yeah, let's say I'm driving and I've got the car, uh, phone plugged into CarPlay and I, I put the phone inside the armrest so it's out of sight. Charlotte can sit there with her phone and control the music. Little thing, seems good. I'd really like to see much more major refreshes, but it's a start. Airplane hotels. I cannot tell you how many times I've been in a hotel and I'm trying to get, let's say, a movie from my phone on my iPad onto the TV screen. Now there's the cast option. You know, you go on a hotel TV and it's like going to here and you can cast. Uh, and you go to this URL and you put in this code and then it doesn't work. Consistently, this happened in Perth the other day as well. So I, I literally carry around an HDMI cable and an adapter to be able to plug either a USB-C or lightning cable into my iPad or my iPhone so I can try and watch stuff on the hotel TV if I just want to have a quiet night. I'd like to see like native Apple AirPlay support. Because what are you going to do these days? you basically got to support Android and iPhone and that's it. Name drop looks cool. So it looks like you can hold your phone next to someone else's phone that you might meet. Let's say meet them at a conference or it's another parent or something like that. You want to drop your details. You hold your phone together. You can drop your data over. It seems like you have some flexibility as to what personal attributes you actually share with them. So that looks neat. Customizable call screens. Now this is going to get interesting. Customizable call screens allow you to set the way your photo and your name appears when you call someone else. So think about it like this. You give me your phone number. I call you. I can, what I will inevitably do is I'll put my standard user at everywhere profile photo on my call card and then you put your name there and you can make it whatever color or font or whatever you like. So that it, it's personalized to you. You can use an emoji, a memoji, when you call out, which sounds fine until you think about it. And I wasn't sure if this was the case to begin with, but now I actually understand what it really means. Yes, this is you, the caller, setting the image that gets sent to the person that you are calling. Now, of course, my mind immediately went to all the weird shit you could do with this. <laughs> so, <laughs> I will admit, dick pics were the first thing I thought of. Not because I want to do it, but I can see people doing it. I can see them picking things that are deliberately offensive. 
to screw with other people. And as immediately as I started saying, so I know my son is 13. He's, I feel these are pretty responsible kids, but I see the way him and his mates talk. I can just see this sort of thing happening. Now, later on, I delved into some of the other details someone sent me. There's apparently there's a bit in there about looking for uh, um, the, the device can try and identify adult-related material and censor that. But it's a whole bunch of stuff that might not be explicitly adult-related, which could be highly offensive to the people that you're sending it to. And keeping in mind, there are a bunch of people out there that all they want to do is be as highly offensive as they can. Now, maybe they pick something of uh, a racial nature or a, a sexual stereotype nature or, or something that's not easily going to be picked up by um, by the AI looking for the naughty photos. I, I think I just think that there's going to be a world of pain there, and that's before we even get into the spammy, scammy stuff. What is to stop someone, Mister Scammer, from saying, "Well, my personalised calling card is going to be the Commonwealth Bank logo, and it's going to be in yellow, so it looks just like the Combank." So there's that. Uh, impersonation. What's to stop you from using someone else's photo and setting someone else's name and then you call? It's not clear how they're going to be able to control that yet. And then to make it really, really interesting, <laughs> I'm going to quote this here because I, I, I haven't finished watching it all yet, but I started watching the, uh, the keynote later on. It says posters will appear for calls placed via third-party VoIP apps too. So if you're building a third-party VoIP app, because there's a whole SDK and everything around this, or if you're using a third-party VoIP app, such as in a call center, you can set the image that appears when you call the other party. Now, this is the way I'm reading it. It's, it's hard to imagine it is going to ship in this way without controls to stop everything from dick pics through to scams. But the way it reads at the moment reads like it's going to get really, really interesting. That's cool. Good industry. <laughs> Good industry to be in at the moment. We'll see what that ends up looking like. It's, I just I can't imagine it's going to ship this way. Not, not the way I understand it anyway. Let's see the comments here. Uh, Now, Robert says, quick note, remove the speaker inside the air tags. If the person who steals the car hits the locate air tag button, uh, it does not beep. Uh, which, which, of course, ironically, the, and I know people do this, but the, the speaker is also there to try and help protect people who might be uh, being stalked by someone who's placed an air tag in their handbag or somewhere else in their, in their uh, items of personal things, which is, which is kind of nasty. Uh, to, to be completely honest, I worry a lot less about cars being stolen um i was reading a facebook group i'm on one of the amg facebook groups yesterday and someone had had their car stolen and someone in the comments said i just had curiosity like how to get stolen and the person said well someone came into the house early in the morning took the keys and drove away uh, we have a safe every single key religiously goes into a safe and it's locked in the safe and i cannot begin to tell you how much more comfortable i feel about this we've got tradies downstairs right now because that's our life. And even if they were bad people and they just wanted to totally go to town, they cannot take the cars because the keys, definitely not even on me, are locked inside the safe. Uh, makes a really big difference. So I'm much less worried about that. Could they steal it while we're out? Yes, possibly. Uh, are they going to capture the rolling codes from the keys and replay them? I think highly unlikely with those vehicles. 
if one of those things did eventually happen, insurance, we get a new one. Like, I'm not stressed about that. Uh, this is grab a, an Enon E20 for CarPlay in any car. Great stuff. Yeah, but that's not necessarily going to put it on the screen either. Um, I, I just feel like if you don't have first-class AirPlay support, AirPlay, CarPlay support in the car, it's just never quite the same. Um, Wayne says, will Apple scan the image? So I think this is on, what's, what's the right term here? Personalized contact posters. I got the impression that it would be scanned on device. So when we say Apple scan the image, I got the impression it's a little bit like that CSAM scanning where there are known hashes of, of material and it's scanned on the device and compared to the hash rather than being sent to Apple. Apple has carved out a, a, a very... A very good niche for themselves, I think, as a security-centric, privacy-centric organization. Stephen <laughs> says, looking forward to a screenshot of Scott's call poster. Well, maybe I'm going to use a call poster of, a, of, you know, the photo of Scott I'm going to use when I call you. And then and that's a good question, too. Can you customize your call poster depending on who you call? Because maybe the... Maybe the call that you make to your lover is different to the call that you make to your mother. There you go. Who knows? Um... James says, like the new blue check mark in Gmail that immediately got abused. I, I did think for a moment that we need extended validation, uh, personalized contact posters. <laughs> but we are back to the whole topic of how do we do verification in a digital world? Uh, extended validation obviously didn't work. Blue check marks mean nothing. Really, they meant nothing before anyway, and now they they still mean nothing. So I don't think any of those things solve the problem. We, we, just, we just don't have a good way of doing this. Um, Simon says Apple verification for $5 a month. Yeah, you can see. You can just see that happening, can't you? Ali, given that you have to own an Apple device, any abuse report could be linked back to the device. That would make it pretty expensive. Um, yes. That's always the risk, uh, other than the fact, yeah, picking an example here, my, my burner Apple device, the one with the broken screen that I'm using for Yale, you can obtain an Apple device and create an account that you can have not personally identified back to you. So if you were the nefarious type that wanted to track someone with an AirTag, you would surely do that. Don't stalk, okay, first of all, don't stalk people. <laughs> Second of all, don't stalk them with an head tag linked to your own personal device that personally identifies you. Um, James says, I'd take that challenge to open the safe. Now, the, the, the thing is, maybe let's say the lockpicking lawyer comes in. Maybe the lockpicking lawyer can open the safe. But you need someone who has a combination of the lockpicking lawyer skills and the criminal intent to steal your car. Now, putting those two things together is very hard. Uh, the, the kids that did, bro, the kid, that I assume kid, that did break into my car, the police said even though the door was unlocked, it's breaking in. <laughs> those sorts of people are, are definitely not the sort of people who have the capability to open, open a safe, uh, certainly not if you get a decent one. And one would imagine you would have to spend some time trying to do it unless it was a really shitty safe or you were very sophisticated. Now, this is not quite like a door lock. I mean, you have a lot more room in a safe to get a lock a lock right. So I'm not too worried about that. Uh, oh, the E20 has its own screen, but I agree. And I, yeah, I mean, this is the problem because do you want to add another screen to your car? But I mean, ironically, when you don't have CarPlay, you do add another screen because now I've got a phone holder that <laughs> sits up there and does that. Um 
Now, Wayne says, can a recipient override it? The personalized contact poster. Good question. I don't know. I don't know the answers for this. Um, I really, uh, I really don't know, but I'm really, really curious. And of course, in the most Apple way, we've got Craig, Craig Fettuccine, <laughs> Craig is the last name I can't pronounce, standing in front of this big wall of all these beautiful-looking contact posters. You know, smiling people, nice fonts, uh, mix of languages. Apparently, if you're Japanese or Chinese, I can do the vertical text. There's something here that looks like it's in Hindi. Everyone's there. They're all very happy. Not a single dick pic. Uh, and I think that that is probably not reflective of what the reality will be when this thing ships. <laughs> so let's wait and see. I've gone on for about an hour and a quarter, so I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, I think I have some more door locks. Oh, no, I've got to do the domain stuff. <laughs> focus, focus. Wrap this up. Next week, I will really hopefully be talking about all the new domain stuff which has, has launched and then some of the things that will be coming as well. So uh, super, super excited about that. Thank you for joining in, and uh, yeah, I hope this has been fun. See you next week.